Seven blessings, Kevin. How are you this week? I am good. I am good. No complaints. Good, good, good. I have no complaints either because we are here to talk about what is one of my favorite episodes of Game of Thrones of all time. Oh snap! Really, all time? It's, eh? it's, it's right up there on. The, it's right up there on the very high in my list of Game of Thrones episodes. We're talking about season eight, episode two, mm-hmm. "A Night of the Seven Kingdoms," which aired uh, just this week. Uh, on HBO and Kevin, Kevin, I know you gobbled it up like a hungry little Game of Thrones fan. I did. I absolutely did. Um, as usual, I'm, I'm, I didn't get like a lot of the, uh, I guess historic, uh, significance to the episode, but, uh, uh, uh yeah, but no, I did, I did, um, I did like this episode a little bit better than the other one. Uh Um, I sent you a a meme, which I thought was funny from the episode. (laughs) Yeah. Um, not too long ago about the, uh, giant's milk. (laughs) The Giants Mill Torment. Um, yeah, that was a funny. Game. Yeah, so yeah, man. It's, uh, just so, so, so you're getting into it. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I mean, as you know, I was disappointed in episode one. I was worried after episode one. Yeah. Because because you know what? This is season eight. This is all we have left. This is we waited two years in between season seven and season eight almost. And we have nothing left but this season. So every moment of this season, for me as a Game of Thrones fan, has to be jam-packed right. with just payoff and joy, closing off loose ends, giving us character moments. And and th- and you know what? That's what happened in in season eight, episode two. All right. Um, it, it feels like a miracle to a Game of Thrones fan. I have that that feeling of I just saw a new great episode of Game of Thrones, and it feels so great. It feels like a miracle every time, um, especially when you follow a slow episode like we did in episode one. Right. So, episode eight opens uh, right where uh, episodes uh, episode. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Episode two <laughs> opens right where episode one left off. Uh, with uh, Jamie Lannister, who's just arrived in King's Landing and is now being put on trial. Basically, he's facing off um, in the uh, the basically the the main uh, hall of King's Landing, and he's facing off against. Uh, we have Daenerys, Jon Snow, and Sansa, who are all basically passing judgment on Jamie Lannister, deciding what to do with him right. because he just arrived at Winterfell, and although he made an agreement with Daenerys the last time he saw her in King's Landing. Um, he is no friend to everybody here. Like, like everybody here at Winterfell has a beef with Jamie Lannister from something he did over the first seven seasons. There's like nobody here wants him alive except basically Tyrion, his brother, and Brienne, who is in love with him. Okay. Um, 
Brienne uh, is my favorite character. I should say this now in case anyone who's listening doesn't know me well enough to know. I'm a Brienne stan, okay? Brienne is my favorite character in this show. She is so inspiring to me. Gwen uh, Gwen Christie is such a great actress, and she portrays this character from the, bur- from the book so perfectly. It's a heartbreaking character. Um, and it's a um, she's a really good character. She's a rare example of a truly good character uh, in Game of Thrones, and um, I just absolutely love her. Um, right. So, so this 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 episode being heavily uh, a Brienne episode uh, is a big deal to me. It's a, it's a main reason why I I really love it. Okay. So um, the trial of Jamie Lannister goes about as expected. Um, Daenerys, of course, wants to kill him because uh, uh, he killed her father. Um, Sansa uh, is not happy with him because he uh, is responsible for the capture and basically uh, for the death of Ned Stark, her father. Okay. Uh, um, you've got Bran there who hasn't told anybody, but but who knows that Jamie's the one who pushed him out the window and crippled him when he was a little boy. Um, if he told everybody that, they they'd probably just kill Jamie right away. No more discussion. But he keeps that to himself, um, which is a little odd. Because you think that uh, he would, you know what I mean? If that was the case, uh, yeah, you would you would expect that if if Bran was if Bran was still Bran, but but Bran is not Bran anymore, right? And that's the whole th- point of Bran is that he's not a human anymore. He doesn't have those feelings right anymore. He doesn't have those Bran Stark feelings. Like he's aware, he remembers, but he doesn't have any emotional attachment to the events that happened anymore. Okay. He's like Bran's kind of like a walking computer or like a. He's like Google, right? He's like he Bran knows everything that's happened in Westeros in the past, present, and future. He knows everything, right, um, right. but he's lost his humanity a- as a result. And he keeps saying, and he says in this episode, "I'm not Brandon Stark. Um, I'm the th- <laughs> just bad given now." And and Brandon is actually grateful to Jamie uh, because if Jamie hadn't pushed him out that window, he wouldn't be the Three Eyed Raven, and. Um, and also Jamie's plot, Jamie's character redemption arc was basically set in motion in that moment when he pushed Brandon Stark out of the window. So this episode is a lot about Jamie's redemption. He's been mostly a villain for this entire series. His love for Cersei has led him astray time after time after time. And it's put him on the wrong side of the fans' perspective of this story time after time after time. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this is all coming back in this scene. Uh, it's a very powerful scene, uh, but um, uh, Brienne, I mean, uh, first uh, Tyrion tries to defend him, but then we get a great moment with Tyrion and uh, and Daenerys where she says, listen, you told me that you knew your sister and that we could trust her to make a deal, and that turned out to be wrong. Now you're telling me to trust your brother. How do I know I'm not going to trust your brother long enough for him to slit my throat? And Tyrion basically has nothing to say because he's because she's right. Uh, Cersei uh, apparently pulled the fast one on Tyrion. Although a lot of people are divided on that issue, a lot of people think that Tyrion and Cersei like were somehow in league. Like somehow, like Tyrion told Cersei to lie, but that's just fan theories, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into that. Okay. Um, so anyway, the trial of Jaime Lannister ends with with Brienne speaking up for Jaime, claiming that he is an honorable man, telling telling Sansa about how. He armed her and armored her and sent her out to find Sansa and Arya and, and save them because he because he swore an oath, oath to Catelyn Stark. Sansa didn't know any of that. Um, so, I mean, Sansa is immediately moved because she trusts Brienne implicitly. Brienne was her savior, basically saved her 
from uh, when she was being chased down after she escaped from uh, from um, the Boltons. So, um, you know, Sansa immediately switches sides and says, okay, Jamie should stay. John, of course, is all about we need every man we can in this fight, so he'd forgive anybody. We already know that. Mm-hmm. So he says, yeah, we should let him stay. So we eventually we decide to let Jamie Lannister stay and fight, which is as expected. And um, the the the... The real uh, thrust of this episode for me begins here, which is the character redemption of both Jamie Lannister and the completion of the hero's journey of Brienne of Tarth. Uh, Jamie and Brienne have kind of been a yin, yin and yang to each other uh, since uh, I think it was season three when uh, when Jamie gave Brienne uh, her Valerian steel sword. Which is named Oathkeeper, and Jamie ha- Jamie has his own Valerian steel sword, which is called Widow's Whale, which we know uh, from back then is actually Ned Stark's sword, Ice, which uh, Tywin Lannister had melted down, and for it, Ice was so big, he was able to forge two full size Valerian steel swords out of it, which was Widow's Whale and Oathkeeper. So now Ned Stark's sword, half of it is being carried by Jamie Lannister, half of it is being carried by Brienne. They become a yin-yang for each other. And this episode brings closure to the Jamie Lannister, Brienne of Tarth, yin-yang kind of connection because they serve as each other's completion in this episode, which is beautiful to me. But we'll get more into that later as the episode progresses. Right. Um, so we go from the trial of Jamie Lannister, which ends with uh, Grey Worm, which is a great, great little moment for me. Grey Worm has to give Jamie his sword back. He has to give him Widow's Whale back, and they have a cool little stare down for a moment there, as as Grey Worm is handing Jamie his sword. Uh, th- th- this, I think, feels like it's foreshadowing. I feel like later on, those two are going to meet on the battlefield somehow. Either Grey Worm is going to be like uh, a White Walker because he's been turned by the dead, or the other way around. And one of them is going to have to take out the other, I think, mm. just ba- just based on that little moment. But we'll see. That's a little prediction from me. All right. Um, did you have any thoughts up until this up until this moment, or are you just hanging um, with me? <laughs> well, a lot of uh, the names you dropped, uh, I'm just it, I, I don't I don't know names. <laughs> like, there's very few names of these characters. Right, 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 right. So, but yeah, but um, you know, you know who Jamie is. The guy who was on tri- trial in the beginning of the story. I'm trying to remember what he looks like, I'll tell you the truth. But uh, I do remember the scene. I'm just trying to remember what he looks like. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's just, like I said, man. He's handsome. He's handsome. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's just move on. Then. Yeah, okay. From, the, from there, we go on to a scene of, well, we just got Danny and Tyrion and Jorah Mormont and Varys walking through a hallway, and Danny is bitching out Tyrion even more. Mm-hmm. First of all, first of all, Danny's a little bit annoyed because she didn't like the way the trial went. She she really wanted, to, I think, to take out Jamie Lannister, and the fact that everybody turned kind of went against her and outvoted her kind of kind of bugged her. Uh, this 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 kind of happens throughout this episode. You kind of see Danny looks like she's a little bit less powerful than she was the previous episode, mm-hmm. and it, maybe maybe it looks like uh, power might be slipping away from Danny a little bit here, or maybe they're just trying to make it look that way for, uh, to kind of lead us to certain decisions that Danny's going to make later on. We'll see. But in, in this scene, Danny uh, uh, really gives really gives it to Tyrion about all the mistakes he's made and whether she made a mistake hiring him as her hand. Um, Tyrion ends this scene with a great line. He looks at Varys and Jorah and he says, I suspect I'll see one of you wearing this pin before this is over. Meaning he thinks that he'll be fired 
and one of them will become the new hand of the king. I think it, I think that might have been foreshadowing to Tyrion dying, though. Uh, we'll have to see what happens next episode in the big battle. Um, we'll see. Um, from there, we go to a, a scene uh, Arya and Gendry. So Arya is texting with with Gendry at the forge to see if uh, he's made her weapon yet. He hasn't. He says, I'm too busy. And then he tells her that she should go hide in the crypts with everyone because uh, it's safer there. And then she's like, oh, you don't know I'm a badass, right? And she she starts chucking his his dragon glass daggers into the wall behind his head, showing him how, how accurate she is with her throw. And he's super impressed. Yeah, that was um, actually a cool scene, actually. Yeah, yeah. Really so uh, it. it's funny because because last time Gendry saw Arya, she hadn't trained to be a, uh, an assassin yet, so she was still like you know kind of weak and and helpless. Um, so this is a moment where Gendry just becomes aware of of the fact that Arya is probably the deadliest fighter in the whole team, um, and uh, she was just letting him know there, and that was a cool little moment between the two of them. And he's like, "Okay, I'll work on your weapon now." She's like, "Good." <laughs> um, uh, then we cut to a scene of uh, Jamie Lannister and Bran speaking in the Godswood. And this is a huge scene for Game of Thrones fans. This is from season one, episode one, is the last time Jamie and Bran were together. Jamie pushed Bran out the window and crippled him. Last time they saw each other. So we have been living with this awful, awful act uh, for seven seasons now. And we have been wondering if Jamie and Bran are ever going to see each other again for seven seasons. Here they are finally meeting, and um, and Jamie is obviously really surprised by the fact that Bran doesn't seem to have any reaction to him. Bran mm-hmm. just seemed like um, Bran, you know, says exactly what I think most most fans expected, which is, you know, I'm the three eyed Raven now, which is which is what we need, which is what's right. So I don't have any feelings. I'm not Bran Stark anymore. Ooh. There would have been. He also says there would have been no point in me telling them that. That you were the one who pushed me out the window because then they'd just kill you and we need you to help fight. Right. I will say this. Uh, that scene was a very nicely shot scene, actually. Right. Um, it was like you could tell the cinematographer was like on, on point that day. Yeah. But yeah, that's the one thing about that scene that really stood out with me. Uh, obviously, I do remember <clears throat> the... Um, the interaction with him pushing. Well, they also did a flashback of him pushing out the window. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you said that to me, um, when, as soon as you said that last, the last episode, um, yeah. I, I, I actually did remember that, that right. scene. Right. So, right. um, but anyway, sorry. that was the, that was the one, the one, the one really standout thing about episode one was that mm-hmm. how many, how many areas it had complete parallel structure to mm-hmm. season, season one, episode one and ending on that moment with Jamie and Bran, was exactly like ending the ending of season one, episode one, where that was that was the ending was Jamie pushing yeah, Bran out. The window. Window. Yeah, right. um, so this was a great moment for us, and um, it, and Bran has a great little line because uh, you know after Bran says there's no there was no point in me telling them, and then just they then them killing you. We we need you for the battle. Uh, Jamie says okay, that's fine, but what about after? Mm-hmm. And Bran Bran says to him, how do you know there's an after? Right. Meaning like brand knows, like brand knows everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So in that point, it kind of sounds like brands telling Jamie, cause you're going to die. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to talk more about how, why I think Jamie might die next episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they've really set him up for it. Right. Um, so straight from there, we follow Jamie. Now we have three Jamie scenes in a row here. So we go from, from Jamie 
uh, reuniting with Bran, which is again a huge moment that we've been waiting for, mm-hmm. to Jamie and Tyrion uh, just just walking and talking together, which is a, which is the kind of thing we haven't been able to see for a long time. Jamie and, and and Tyrion have been on opposite sides of the the war for a long time. So um, the idea that they're just hanging out together and it's not dangerous for them to do that and they can just talk comfortably like brothers again. Mm-hmm. This is a great this is a great moment for fans too. This is something that we haven't seen for a long time, and it it is a great conversation. which just calls back to previous conversations constantly. Um, uh, 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 Tyrion repeats a joke from season two, I think, uh, his line where I always picture myself dying at the age of 80 with a belly full of wine and a girl's mouth around my cock. cock. Yeah. Yeah. I was Um, wondering why they both finished that sentence actually. Because that's a direct callback, right? Yeah. He obviously said it before. I thought he was just, he just knows them so well that, right. that you know, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, bo- it's both of those things at the same yeah. time. Right. And, and that, and that's what I'm saying about why this episode is so great because almost no line of dialogue in this whole episode does not refer or pay back something from previous. Like okay. every, like there's no wasted word in this whole episode. Everything touches back. And that's why it's, it's so beautiful for a hardcore fan like myself, because like, you you don't want to waste any moment. Like I said, like this is season eight. This is all we have. Mm-hmm. You don't want to waste a moment, and this episode does not. Um, so um, you know we get we get a uh, 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 Tyrion and Jamie kind of reminiscing. Oh oh my God, what would Father think if he saw we're gonna die fighting for Winterfell or whatever? Haha. Mm-hmm. Um, great great moments. Um, uh, uh, but we get one great line in this conversation that stood out to me among the rest, which is again. We keep pointing out all the bad shit that Jamie Lannister has done in the past. We keep pointing out all of the things that he has to make up for. And Tyrion gives it to him hard right here. When they're talking about Cersei Lannister and how evil and how she lied and fooled everybody, Jamie says, you know, don't be hard on yourself. She had me fooled too. And Tyrion stops dead in his tracks. And he goes, Wait a minute, no. She never fooled you. You knew exactly what she was, and you loved her anyway. Mm. And and uh, Jamie is stopped dead in his tracks. He has no response. He just he just like the realization of that hits him. He's like, oh yeah, like I was a piece of shit because I was in love with my sister, and I never should have been. Mm. Um, and, and and we get a lot of that in this episode. We're, they're showing you over and over again. This is what Jamie has to make up for. And this is what he's about to make up for. Um, from there, from that great scene, we follow Jamie again to a scene with Brienne of Tarth. And again, Brienne, my favorite character in the show. This was this was a moment for me that I was really, really happy about. The scene kind of starts with Brienne alone watching Pod train. And this is a great moment, too. This is another payoff moment because Pod is pretty good in this sword fight. And if you know, if you've been following the show, you know that Pod as a character was a bumbling kind of like fool, kind of comic character who was really clumsy and couldn't really fight at all. But when he joined Brienne, when he pledged himself as her squire, even though she wasn't a real knight, so she couldn't have a real squire, he was like, that's fine. I'm not a real squire. Uh, I I just want you to train me because you're so great. Um, All of that. From see from years ago, from that was probably season three or season four at the at the, at the latest. All of that was paid off in this ten seconds or five seconds of just 
Podrick fighting and Brienne just standing there watching him with like a kind of half smile on her face. And right. that's only and that's only the beginning of the scene. That that that's not even the thrust of the scene. Then Jamie arrives and we get the real scene. Jamie uh, says about Podrick. He says he's come a long way. And and uh, Brienne says to immediately he's got a lot to learn still. And immediately you realize oh they're not really talking about Podrick. They're talking about Jamie. Um, uh, uh, Brienne's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting differently? You you normally insult me in every conversation. And Jamie's like, uh, you know what? He's completely humbled. He's lost all. He's lost all of his like his snarky, uh, joking around, arrogant Jamie. And he's like, look, I'm just here because I'm not a great fighter anymore. And I and I w- it would be my honor to fight for you right. uh, under your command in this in this war. And you know what, Brienne. We all know Bran is in love with Jamie, um, and uh, this moment to her is so huge. She she looks up to him as a knight. She admires him, um, and she also feels great empathy for him. Mm. She, uh, he saved her back in season three from being raped and, prob- and probably murdered, and um, ever since that moment of kindness on his on his behalf, she has been in love with him mm-hmm. and, and and this moment for brienne is really powerful she's she sees how humble he is she sees how lowered he is from the stature that he once had and she feels empathy for him and she she'd happily uh fight alongside him and and, and it's a cute it's a not cute it's a it's a moving little scene between them um there and there's more to come later on that's even more powerful yeah. um so from there uh we go to um a uh, scene where Jorah Mormont is uh, counseling Daenerys okay. uh, in, inside Winterfell. And he's talking to her about um, Tyrion and about how she's angry at Tyrion for the mistakes he's made. And um, the truth is Jorah and Tyrion were once uh, kind of enemies. They were at odds with each other. Jorah loves Daenerys and wants to be her main advisor and um, he says in this scene, you know, it broke my heart when I found out that you'd made Tyrion your hand because that was kind of his position. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then he tells her, but look, uh, Tyrion is the smartest man in Westeros and you have to forgive him. He's too important. You need him. And she listens to him. Uh, Daenerys really trusts Jorah. After all they've been through together, um, Jorah to Daenerys is like Brienne is to Sansa. Like pretty much, pretty much she'll listen to anything he says. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he also advises her to go make up with Sansa, which leads us to our next scene, which is pretty, which is pretty cool. This is like probably the best Sansa scene in a while. I think when Sansa and Daenerys finally sit down one-on-one and have a conversation together. Um, Cause Daenerys wants to clear the air. She she wants to make peace with Sansa and uh, not be at odds with her anymore, mm-hmm. and and it seems like that's the way it's going to go. You know, uh, Daenerys tells Sansa, uh, "I'm here because I love your brother," and Sansa tells her, "You know, I don't think my brother can make good decisions because he's in love with you. Men men do foolish things for women when they're in love." Daenerys says, well, who's using who? You know, all I want is the is the Iron Throne, but here I am fighting against the dead just because John asked me to. 
And uh, so they have a little nice moment where they bond a little bit. They kind of get awkwardly close in this scene. I don't know what you thought about it, but... Um, yeah, when she puts her hand on hers, whatever. Yeah, yeah. and she, she like leans right in. I'm like, wow, yeah. it looks like they're, they're going to make out there for a second. Yeah. Um, slightly I awkward. Totally but, that too, yeah. But <laughs> um, then, of course, we get to the crux of their conflict, which is Sansa says, okay, but what about when this is all over and we go take King's Landing, then what? Well, Daenerys is like, well, I'll take the Iron Throne, of course. And then Sansa's like, but what about the North? What about the North? What about the North? Hmm. Because, uh, you know, the Northern Lords have decided they're not going to ever bow to a king in King's Landing anymore. They've decided that the North is going to be an independent nation from now on. So that is an unresolved question. Uh, what will happen to the North sovereignty once everything is over? Um, if anybody survives, if the North even survives. Um, right. and, and that point of contention is going to stand between Daenerys and Sansa. So Daenerys and Sansa... Basically, the point of this scene is we're not going to completely uh, heal this rift here yet. We're going to keep that tension alive until later on. Mm. Um, which is an indication to me that both of them are going to survive the next episode. And um, we're going to see that tension carried on until the end of the season. Okay. Um, okay, so from there we go to um, Theon arrives. Um, he's come to help join the fight. Uh, it's an emotional moment for uh, Sansa. Sansa is so happy that Theon is home. And um, they have... This episode really kind of... A lot of people are saying that it's hinting that Sansa and Theon might have a romantic connection of some kind. Right. I didn't read that myself personally. I kind of felt like their bond is just a really strong family bond. Um, and, and they both survived Ramsey Bolton together. So it's kind of a survivor's bond a victim's bond at the same time. Okay. Um, but there is later on in the show, there is a montage, a musical montage where they show every couple together. Like mm-hmm. all of the, all of the lovers are in this montage okay. and for, and for some reason they include Sansa and Theon in this montage of lovers. So, it seems like the show might be indicating a romantic tie here. We'll see, I guess. I don't know if they're going to have time to develop that. Honestly, my feeling is that Theon's probably going to die next episode. But um, uh, I guess, like again, like again, uh, like I would keep saying, we'll see. Right. <laughs> uh, and then from there, we go uh, to uh, another scene that I loved. Another scene that is paying off, paying off. It starts out, we're in the courtyard of Winterfell, and it's Davos Seaworthy, and he's just serving up bowls of soup to the people of Winterfell. And this reminded me of back in, I think it was season three or season four, Davos has a conversation with Gendry where he's sending him back to Winterfell, and he says... And they're talking about in Flea Bottom, the town they come from, in in, not Winterfell, sorry, in King's Landing, uh, in Flea Bottom... um, uh, there's a kind of soup that they serve in Flea Bottom called it's just called brown because they don't tell you what they don't tell you what's in it. So um, you're, you're, you're super poor. You live in Flea Bottom. You're used to eating what what you call a bowl of brown. A bowl of brown. Uh, so so back in back in season three when Davos sends Gendry back to King's Landing, he says, "When you get there, have a bowl of brown for me." Right. Uh, so that was a line that kind of stuck that kind of stuck out in fans' minds. So here we go with this scene, 
And another payoff, just just like that Podrick scene that I mentioned earlier, where they don't mention it, they don't say it out loud, but if you're a fan, you know it's a callback. Mm-hmm. You know when Davos is serving up this brown soup, you remember that line, have a bowl of brown for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's beautiful. And then um, he's, you know, he's telling the people, you know, don't worry if you're not a fighter, you can survive a battle. I've survived lots of really big battles and I'm not a fighter myself. And then this little girl comes up to him and this little girl is another payoff uh, because she really looks like the daughter of Stannis Baratheon, Shireen, who Davos had a really touching relationship with. Shireen uh, had her face was all scarred up from the same way, but she had uh, grayscale, which is the the dragon disease, basically, mm-hmm. in Game of, Game of Thrones. Um, and it was a big... Uh, Shireen Baratheon was a big influence on the character of Davos Seaworthy because he fell in love with her kind of like a fatherly way. She taught him to read and then Stannis Baratheon ended up sacrificing her to the Red God. He burned his daughter alive mm. and um, and Davos, Davos could never reconcile himself with that. He could never be okay with that. Um, that's why he will never forgive the Red Woman who hasn't appeared yet in Season 8 but will probably soon. Um and so this is a touching moment where you see on Davos's face the heartbreak as he looks at this little girl. And you know, like, again, they don't say it. You just know as a fan that this little girl reminds him of Shireen and that his heart breaks for her. And, um, you know, she's very cute. She says to him, you know, should I go and fight or should I go to the crypts? I can fight because both my parents were, were soldiers. And um, obviously, she's been sent to the crypts uh, where everybody is expected to be safer. Um, Big thing in this episode is um, everybody in Winterfell, uh, the people who are fighting are sending the people who are not fighting down to the crypts of Winterfell because the crypts are expected to be the safest place during the battle. Uh, I think, of course, this is a little bit of classic Game of Thrones misdirection. I think the crypts are going to actually turn out to be the most dangerous place in the battle. And we're setting up for that kind of horror kind of terror that's going to occur when we realize that Mm. in the next episode, because all of the most vulnerable characters are now down there. All of the children are down there. Uh, Varus is down there. Uh, Tyrion is down there. Uh, Gilly and her baby are down there. Um, so um, when the fighting starts happening down there, I assume it will, um, all of those characters are going to be really, really at risk and we're going to be really terrified for them and it's going to be very exciting. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so where was I in my breakdown? Just okay, so, the girl so Davos, Davos serves up a bowl of brown. The little girl agrees to go uh, down to the crypts. Obviously, Gilly says, I'd be, I'd be happy to have you down there protecting me and my baby. Um, one note here, I have heard some wild fan theories about this little girl Okay. that, that possibly she is the red woman, Melisandre using glamour magic to disguise her, who she is, um, to sneak her way into the crypts of Winterfell because, um, people, people assume that the red woman's plot in this season is going to be that she wants to sacrifice Gilly's baby. Gilly's baby, Gilly's baby, we think we're going to find out, has uh, a bloodline, probably a Stark bloodline, 
but some kind of royal blood that's important that if that the red woman is going to think she has to sacrifice the baby and and i think that might be it's possible i don't know about this crazy th- fan theory that the little girl is the red woman mm-hmm. but but i i do think it's a possible theory it does make sense we could see the red woman down in the crypts she could be the danger in the crypts um that i was just referring to earlier there is going to be some danger in the crypts uh but we'll find out we, we won't put too much stock in that wild fan theory right. um so um moving on now sorry i just want to go ahead, go ahead. red woman um if i remember correctly now i'm kind of going forward but um isn't that when um um is it ariana stark aria aria stark um when i know i'm jumping ahead but when she re- reveals that she has a scar on her side doesn't she said doesn't she say yes. something about the red they, woman? T- they talk about her they do yeah they do. okay all right sorry i they didn't do. mean to jump ahead be- but because because just... because gendry Gendry has royal blood. Like I was talking about before, like the red woman is interested in everybody's blood because okay. the, the blood makes powerful magic. Um, she could use royal bloodlines to create powerful magic. We, we saw her um, um, using uh, Stannis's royal blood or his royal semen anyway, because mm. he had to have sex, sex, sex to make a, a demon baby that okay. went and, and murdered Stannis's uh, brother, stuff like that. So royal blood is a powerful ingredient in spells, that she casts um, and she could use it to do powerful things. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so <laughs> from that, from that scene, we go back out to the courtyard. We get more arrivals at Winterfell. We get Tormund, Giants, Bane, Dolores, Ed, um, and Beric Dondarrion and their whole crew. They arrive at Winterfell. Uh, they, they have a, a fun reunion with John and Sam. And then they immediately tell them the dead are coming. They're going to be here before morning. Uh, you know, we have no time. So we jump right from there to a war council scene uh, where they're in the war room. All the main fighters are in there. They're over a map of Winterfell. They've got all their armies placed on the maps. They're showing you where everybody's going to be for the big battle. And John is basically laying it out for them. We're outnumbered four to one. So we have to we have to have a really clever plan here. Uh, the only th- way we think we can beat them is if we kill the Night King because he made them all right. and he controls them all. So we find out that the plan is to lure the Night King using Bran. Hmm. This is a huge scene, a huge scene for fans again, because Bran tells the Night King's entire plan in this scene. And you know what? We have, as fans, been trying to figure out what the Night King wants for for eight years now. There have been like hundreds of thousands of YouTube videos and podcasts and blog posts written about what is the Night King's plan? What does he want? Mm -hmm. And finally, after all that, Bran tells us in this scene, uh, the Night King wants to erase the whole world. He wants to wipe everything out and create an endless endless night. He wants the world to forget that mankind ever lived here. Mm -hmm. Uh, and for that reason, Bran is his most important target because Bran is like the Google of Westeros. Bran is the living memory of the entire human race, of all of the events that have ever happened on Westeros. Like I said, Bran is Bran knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows everything. So if you if you kill Bran, you basically kill the history of Westeros. And Bran tells him, 
Um, there have been many Three-Eyed Ravens over history, and the Night King always comes and tries to kill the Three-Eyed Raven. So I know the Night King will come after me. Right. So that's how, that's how Bran is so sure. So the plan is, Bran is going to wait in the Winterfell Godswood. Um, Theon is going to be there with him with a few of his Ironborn men to to try to defend him in person. And on top of that, um, Daenerys and Jon are going to be nearby with the dragons. Okay. So that so that when when the Night King enters the Godswood, they're going to show up and try to take him out on Dragonback. And they actually ask Bran, "Will Dragon's Fire hurt the Night King?" And Bran says, "I don't know. Nobody's ever tried it before." <laughs> so so we're setting up. Basically, we're we're, we're kind of uh, letting you know how the battle is going to go or how the plan for the battle is supposed to go anyway. Um, uh, there's a lot of fan theories uh, uh, for people don't believe that this is what's going to happen. Um, people don't think the Night King is going to behave the way Bran thinks he's going to behave. Um, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I think it's probably true. Um, I, I My hunch is with the main fan theory that I keep hearing, mm-hmm. and that and that is that the Night King will not even come to this battle. Um, the, the fan theory that I keep hearing is that the Night King is going to take his dragon and fly straight to King's Landing okay. on his on his own to, to basically wipe out the whole Golden Company who Cersei just hired in Episode 1 and make them undead soldiers and then march them all north to attack Winterfell on two fronts. Um... Honestly, we, obviously, we have no idea if that's going to be the case. We'll find out in, in the next episode. Right. Um, but um, the, but that's the plan anyway. And um, we end this scene with probably the third time I think in this episode, uh, Daenerys has tried to talk to John, and John has avoided her. So John still hasn't told Daenerys that it, what he knows that that he is her nephew. That uh, he is the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Um, that his parents were not who he thought they were. Um, uh, Daenerys still doesn't know that. So John, so far up until this episode, has just been brooding, carrying that secret with him, and avoiding her. And at this point, he still is. He turns and walks away from her at the end of this scene, and um, it's 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 rather poignant. And again, it's another thing where throughout this episode, it seems like Daenerys keeps getting undermined, undercut, like. Like people aren't treating her as this monarch, this you know queen of Westeros, who they've all agreed that she's going to be when this is all over, and and that uh, is the kind of thing that will get under Daenerys' skin and probably lead us to uh, consequences later on. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, from there, we go to a little scene between Grey Worm and Missandei, which you know everyone is convinced that Grey Worm is going to probably be the first one to die in the next episode, and um, his love story with Missandei is going to go tragically. And uh, this scene kind of kind of puts an exclamation point on that. Mm. Um, you know, they they kind of show you how the Northerners don't accept Grey Worm and Missandei because they're they're from the east. Uh, they have different color skin. They dress differently, and it's kind of a racism thing happening here. It's kind of like saying, you know, uh, they're not wanted there because they're not white or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and they have a conversation with each other about that, where Grey Worm says, you know what? When this war is over, we're not going to have a place here. We're not welcome here. When this war is over, 
um, d- is there anywhere you want to go? And she's like, yeah, I want to go home to my my home of Narn where they have the beautiful beaches that I want to see again. And he's like, fine, when this war is over, I will take you there. He pledges that to her. They have a romantic kiss and everybody is sure that means that either Grey Worm is going to die or they're both going to die next episode. Right. Uh, and I'm, I totally, yeah, I think so for sure. I think Grey Worm is going to be one of the first deaths. I think Grey Worm is going to be an, an undead. He's going to be a zombie. And uh, we're going to have some, uh, some Grey Worm horror moments in next episode. All right. Are you saying that uh, that he's going to be the first to die because he's black? Uh, <laughs> are you are you using the horror? <laughs> okay, the horror I, okay. genre <laughs> stereotype. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you pointed that out. Yeah. Um, that that's not why I All think. Right. <laughs> and and somebody said earlier. I heard somebody this week say Grey Worm looks like Mini Obama. Yeah, uh, he he kind of does a little bit. Um, but that's not why. The reason is he's leading the the first army that's going to meet the dead. He's standing. Oh, okay. So, he's standing right in the front, waiting so for the dead to arrive. Operation Human Shield is in effect. Yes. Yes. Saying. Yes. So, right. so whether or not the show is guilty <laughs> of putting the, of putting the black guy out there to die first, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say. All right. But, but um, you know, I mean, you might have a different opinion on no, that. Just, I was just pointing that out there. Boom! Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Go ahead, my and friend. And that's how Boop done. Um, <laughs> uh, shit. <laughs> uh, okay, so from there, yeah, we go to um, one of my favorite scenes. We get Jon Snow, uh, Samwell Tarly, and Dolores Ed, and. Finally, finally, Kevin, mm-hmm. Jon Snow's direwolf ghost. Okay. Is finally back on the show. Right. Just standing there behind them while they're talking. But this scene is a beautiful callback to season two, season three, when Jon Snow was a uh, brother of the Night's Watch on the wall with Sam and Dollars Ed. There would be tons of scenes where they would be standing on top of the wall like this, just staring off at the danger, like wondering what danger was coming and talking about, talking about how they're probably going to die soon. At, like this scene was a direct callback to, to those scenes from before. They talked about how far they've come. They talked about their friends who used to be with them who are gone now. Uh, it's it's so great. Sam, you know, they make fun of Sam. They tell him you want to go hide in the crypts with the women, and then Sam lists off his litany of a, of brave achievements that he's that he's gone through over the series, which is a wonderful thing as a fan to re-experience because we remember the origin of Samwell Tarly. When he first arrived on the show, he was so useless. He was so pathetic. He was laughable. Okay. He was a coward. He kept telling everybody over and over again what a coward he was, and 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 now he's one of the heroes of the show, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, uh, love this scene. Anyway, um, uh, it ends with a beautiful line, um, which I which is again foreshadowing uh, where they talk about we're all going to die tomorrow. Dollars Ed says, "Last man, last man alive, burn the rest of us," mm. um, and, and and that really makes you wonder. Uh, like, like, who would that be? Who's the last man going to be? And, and will there be a scene where he's burning, uh, his friends? And, um, honestly, my money, a hundred percent, is on Samuel Tarley. I think there's no way Jon Snow is going to survive this series. And Dollars Ed is 
his his basically uh, function in the story is is kind of over now. He's kind of uh, doesn't really have anywhere else to go, character wise, narrative wise. And Samwell Tarly is going to be the historian of this whole thing. He's like the Samwise from uh, Lord of the Rings, right. almost exact, exactly. Okay. Um, in that he's got to survive because he's got to write the book of A Song of Ice and Fire when this is all over. Right. So uh, I think that line at the end of that scene, um, "Last one of us alive, burn the rest." Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna be called back to that later on when Sam is the last one of these three to be alive. Okay. Um, and from there. Uh, oh, the to me the the climax of this episode uh, starts in this next scene, um, which is uh, it's a scene where a lot of our beloved characters all come together, kind of for the first time, um, and they sit around a fire and just talk, and um, they get a lot of their 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 great character payoff moments out in this scene. Okay. So <clears throat> we end up around this table. Uh, sorry, we get Jamie Lannister, Tyrion Lannister, we get Brienne of Tarth, we get Podrick Payne, we get Sir Davos Seasworthy, and we get Tormund Giants Bane. All they gather in this this basically this big room in Winterfell with a big fireplace in it. They all pull up a chair mm-hmm. and they're share and they're sharing a flagon of wine together and they're talking. Um, it, it's beautiful because like there's so many great just character. Uh, uh, dynamics going on here. We've got, first of all, Bran and Jamie, who I've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Who've got, who've got, like, um, you know, we know Bran's in love with Jamie. We wonder if Jamie will ever come around and and return Brienne's affection. We know that that Jamie feels affection for Brienne, but we wonder if it will ever blossom into a romantic thing or not. We're not sure yet. We also have Tormund Giantsbane, who is really romantically interested in Brienne and is not shy about it. And is just trying always to get in Brienne's pants, mm-hmm. and so we have a great dynamic here where where we have Tormund Giantsbane throwing himself at Brienne, and we just have Jamie quietly sitting in the background, kind of behind Brienne while that's happening. But we kind of see him in the shot, kind of. So we were aware of this like triangle between the three of them the whole time, and it's really wonderful. Um, and, and and probably what is going to be most people's favorite moment of the show, Tormund Giantsbane tells the story of why he's called Tormund Giants Bane. And this to me was my favorite moment of the episode. Tormund is a beloved character from the books and he is one of the best translated characters from the books. This is Tormund Giants Bane from the books. There are multiple scenes of Tormund sitting around drinking with people, just telling bullshit stories about himself. Right. And in the, in the books, he repeatedly tells this story about how he fucked a bear. (laughs) and 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 the bear fell in love with him and he spent a winter like in her cave with her fucking this bear and and he tells this story over and over again in the books and and it's that's his character he tell he tells stories that are obviously not true and he loves it and he like has no remorse about it um so this scene where he tells this story about how he killed the giant and then crawled into bed with the giant's wife and the, and the giant's wife breastfed him for months yeah. <laughs> because he, she mistook him for her own child uh, is is hilarious. And the way it's played is so wonderful. Everyone else in the room, nobody really reacts. Everybody just stares at him like, what the hell? <laughs> 
and he, and he swigs his big his big horn full of goat's milk. That's what he's drinking. He's drinking a. It's actually a wildling drink that's made of goat's milk that's turned bad, and it's actually it gets you drunk. It's actually alcoholic. Oh, okay. But it's a, it's a it's if you read the book, it's a it's a wildling drink. It's what all the wildlings get drunk on. Basically, right. is this this goat's milk booze it, that's too disgusting for anybody else but wildlings to drink. So that's what he's swilling in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, God, it's so fun. It's so beautiful. I, I will never forget that scene. Um, and and you, that's the scene that you posted me the meme about. Uh, yes. that and <laughs> giants, um, giants milk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know milk. how I got this strong from drinking giants milk. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, Department Giants Band is great, and um, uh, you know me what? On the teat. Yeah. Will will he survive the next episode? I'm gonna say it's probably not likely. All right. But um yeah, such a beloved character, so uh that's why he's probably a likely death because we gave like this moment that we just had with him, this moment that we'll never forget is one of the funniest moments in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me that that kind of says Okay, goodbye, Tormund. Uh, we love you, and that's why it's going to hurt so much when you die. Right. Um, <laughs> um, so there we go. From there, we cut to um, Arya and the Hound. We get a second chance at an Arya Hound reunion, which I, which, which is important to me because in episode one, their conversation was really brief, and we didn't really dig into anything too much. And I was hoping we were going to get more, and we do here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Hound is just drinking alone outside. Uh, doesn't want to be around anybody. Typical hound. Um, and Arya comes up and just joins him, just plops down next to him and uh, and uh, sits with him. And, and they have a little chat. And uh, and they get into their past a little bit more. You know, She's like, what are you doing here fighting for the realm with everybody? You don't fight for anybody but yourself. And he turns and he's like, I fought for you, didn't I? And, uh, you, and you see it in his face, this whole, how come you don't like me better? <laughs> like the hound... Mm-hmm. The Hound kind of like, you can tell he's a bit miffed because he protected Arya for a long time. Um, even though she was kind of his captive, captive, um, he was really protecting her while she was his prisoner. Uh, he didn't let her go because, not only because he thought he might get some reward for her that could help him out, but he also cared about her, didn't want her getting killed by the Lannisters or uh, you know anyone else who was out to get her when she was just a Stark child, basically on her own out in the world. Okay. Um, it, it's thanks to, it's thanks to the Hound that we have uh, Arya alive and well, and uh, in the in the fine fighting form that she's in today. Okay. Um, so then we get Beric. Dondarrion joins them. Uh, not really a lot going on with Beric. Uh, he's another character who I feel like his story has kind of run out, so he'll die any moment. Um, and, uh, I think that's kind of evident because he kind of sucks the air out of the scene and the scene kind of ends, uh, Arya's like, well, I'm not sitting around here with you two old farts in my last moments and, and, uh, walks away. And that's basically the end of that scene. Um, and from there, like previously in the episode, we had three scenes in a row where we follow Jamie Lannister. Uh, now we're getting three, kind of three scenes in a row. Well, it's kind of two scenes in a row, but one is kind of two scenes for me uh, where we're following Arya. Mm-hmm. So Arya goes from that scene with the Hound and Beric uh, straight back to, to Gendry. Um, 
she's actually alone uh, target shooting with her bow and arrow. And Gendry arrives. He's got her weapon finished finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he gives it to her. So we have a little moment where we see Arya with her new uh, dragon glass tipped spear. And she's like practicing with it. Yeah, this will work. This is good. And then um, we cut to what I think is the next scene. And what is another big important scene for fans. Uh, Arya and Gendry have a love scene. Mm-hmm. And and we see Arya naked. Uh, kind of. Uh, we see side boob. But we yeah. see, see side boob. We, we actually see it. Um, so um, th- this would count as nudity and under on, under any TV standings uh, ratings uh, standards ratings I mean um, and uh, it was shocking honestly uh, I had the same reaction that I think most fans had which was I immediately was doing mental math to try to figure out how old Arya's character is supposed to be at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, HBO put out a tweet and said, she's 18, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh, I, th- I think I, I like this moment a lot. It was, it was kind of a tough moment to watch almost because, uh, we, like, we, like Arya's a little girl to us. We, we've watched her grow up since she was, like, she looked like she was 10 years old when this show started. Yeah. And we, we think of her that way. So as fans, it was shocking to us to see Arya naked and in a sex scene. But... This is another kind of true-to-form Game of Thrones kind of callback. It is something that they haven't really done for a while. They kind of turned away from using nudity and sex as a shock value Mm -hmm. uh, storytelling device. But I feel like they figured out a way here to do that, to say, look, we're still Game of Thrones. We're still the same show we were in season one. We're giving you a sex scene that's going to shock you. It's going to be like, oh, you're going to be like, whoa, when you see this scene. Um, and it's also a great uh, payoff moment for Arya. You know, this is Arya uh, coming to adulthood. This is Arya achieving womanhood or, you, you know, this is her all grown up uh, yeah. for the first time, basically. And um, a lot of fans are saying that they think that because of this scene that Arya is not going to survive. Mm-hmm. That uh, that that this is a, a completion of her story arc in, so in many ways. Horror movie rules apply again, mm-hmm. right? Right. True. Sex. You're right. You're right. You're right. Very good. Black guy dies first. Right. <laughs> virgin Arya, lives. Arya, right. Arya survived this long because she was a virgin. That's yeah. that, that's that's horror movie rules. You're right. Yeah. Um, so and and I, and I do think that episode three is going to be very horror movie like, right. and we already have seen a preview where Arya is being chased through the halls of Winterfell, mm-hmm. um, like a horror movie. So that's a very good observation. I think that Arya might actually die, and um, if so, it will prove your horror movie rules theory because <laughs> because uh, no, I honestly do think that yeah. the the fact that she had sex. Uh, in this episode, maybe an indication that she's not going to survive, right? right. Um, and may not even survive the the coming battle. Uh, the the next episode is what is what I mean specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same thing with Gendry. I think there's actually very little chance of Gendry surviving this this battle, uh, episode three. And I also that that preview scene that we were just referring to where Arya is being chased through the halls of Winterfell and we don't know what's chasing her mm-hmm. 
well, I hate to say it. I don't mean to get you upset, but my money is she's being chased through the halls of Winterfell by zombie Gendry. Okay. And uh, we shall see. All we right. shall see. Um. <laughs> uh, so, um, so they do it, and then at the end of that scene, uh, Arya doesn't look happy. Arya looks uh, very grave mm. because because you could tell her thoughts are already on the war and probably her own death and probably Gendry's own death. And I think we may see both of those things. Okay, but um, like I keep saying, we shall see. Yeah. From there, we go back to that great scene around the fireplace and all of those beloved characters for what for me is the greatest moment in the show so far, the knighting of Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. Now again, Brienne, my favorite character again, uh, Jamie Lannister and Brienne are the yin and yang for each other. They are completing each other's story arcs in this episode Jamie's story arc needs to be completed through redemption, right? Jamie needs to make up for all of the evil that he's done. Jamie needs to make up for loving the wrong person, his sister, mm-hmm. and not and not being able to accept anyone mm-hmm. else's love his entire life. Jamie needs to 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 come back from all of that and find his humanity and his goodness. And that's how Jamie needs to complete his story arc. Okay. For Brienne, Brienne needs to overcome Everything in her life that's been against her. The fact that she's a woman and she's always been in a man's world. Mm-hmm. She never she never wanted to fulfill the traditional female role of a woman in Westeros. She always wanted to be a fighter. She was always bigger and stronger than all of the men around her. All the men always thought she was ugly and unattractive. So she always felt unwanted and unappreciated Mm -hmm. she she turned out to be a better fighter than all the men around her she turned out to be a more honorable person than all the men around her Mm -hmm. she her dream was to be a knight but she could not because it was against the rules of the world that she lives in so her ultimate redemption or story like completion if you will Mm -hmm. is to is to overcome all of that to a find love, you know, acceptance in the world that she's never been accepted in. And also for her accomplishments and achievements to be um, like recognized, rewarded, appreciated. And And Jamie Lannister is giving her all of that. And the fact that they have two halves of Ned Stark's sword and that these two characters are completing each other and kind of creating one perfect whole, hmm. like the two halves of Ned Stark's sword create this perfect sword that we all love. Um, it's it's such a beautiful narrative, and this scene where Jamie Lannister tells Brienne, you know, you don't have to be a king to make you a knight. Any knight can make you a knight. I'll make you a knight right now, Neil. And then the. That's just the beautiful acting, the interplay. Brienne's, Brienne's, uh, you know, denies that she really wants it. Oh, I don't really care about being a knight. And then you just have a look between Brienne and Podrick, mm-hmm. and, pa- and Podrick's eyes are telling her, "Come on, I know you want to be a knight more than anything. Uh, you, you are a knight. You know, you're the greatest knight, and and it's wrong that you're not. Like all of that is said in his eyes, mm-hmm. uh, and it's right there." 
and Gwendolyn Christie and her amazing ability to act. And that's why Star Wars makes me so mad because they, they took they, they, they took Gwendolyn Christie and they put her in a fucking helmet mm. and they they only they they only used her size, right? Yeah. Like like the only thing that was you know indicative of her in that character was the fact that she was big mm-hmm. and that was that's such an insult jj i'm sorry jj you did a great job in so many other ways in your casting of new characters in the force awakens but the what you did to gwendolyn christie and then our and ryan johnson went and did the exact same thing is a fucking crime yeah. because Gw- gwendolyn christie is such an amazing actor and in this scene where she realizes Jamie's about to make her a knight and fulfill her lifelong dream mm-hmm. in this moment out of the blue is so heartbreaking. I fucking cried. Um, the no, scene even, is even myself, like um, even though I obviously I know her from, from star Wars, yeah. but uh, even for me, like I really enjoyed that scene too. I thought that was really nice. I thought that was yeah. a really touching scene. Um Sorry, just a back step, just a just a bit um, back to um, the Last Jedi. But did you ever see the deleted scene of her death? Yes, I did. Much better than what, what was in the film. Yes, absolutely. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. But anyways, sorry, just uh, let's get back forward. No worries. <laughs> no, I, I wish they I wish they had included that deleted scene in the absolutely, film too. Much better than what they had in the film. But anyways. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We're absolutely talking agree. we're talking Game of Thrones, not Star Wars. So so, so anyway, um, <laughs> A beautiful scene. It reminded it reminded me of a scene from, um, I believe it was season six, where Brienne uh, finds Sansa in the woods and then swears her loyalty to Sansa, and they have this beautiful like uh, winter setting in the forest where where Brienne kneels before Sansa and swears an oath to her. That was my favorite scene in the show so far until this one, which kind of mirrors it. Um, uh, Brienne kneeling before Jamie and Jamie. Um, you know, in the name of the in the name of the warrior, in the name of the father, in the name of the mother, it's so beautiful. And then you know, he says, you know, I I, I command you to rise, uh, Brienne of Tarth, a knight of the seven kingdoms. Yeah. And there and there we get the title of the episode, and there we also get to me, um, the encapsulation of what I keep talking about, which is the yin and the yang of Jamie and Brienne, because. You think that the title of this episode, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, is about Brienne, right? From this scene. Because he says it, Arise, Brienne of Tarth, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. Mm -hmm. But what that really is about, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, the title of that this episode, is really about the relationship between Brienne and Jaime. Because Jaime Lannister is a knight of the Seven Kingdoms, but he is a broken tarnished knight he is a knight who who has had his honor just kind of destroyed and here is brienne who is not a knight but has all of that honor and all of those abilities and all of those characteristics that the knight is supposed to have jamie and brienne are two halves of a perfect knight of the seven kingdoms Mm -hmm. and in this episode they come together and complete each other and only together can they make a true knight of the seven kingdoms? And and to me, like this will I I don't know. Like I, I keep saying it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. And I've seen a lot of people say that it is their favorite episode of all time. I don't want to go that far because I don't want to like I, I think it's hard to compare it to like the big budget battle episodes, like 
there are a couple of episodes like uh, the Battle of the Bastards for one, and um, the Battle of Hardhome, which you know, just giant budgets and just massive, massive epic scenes with hundreds of extras mm-hmm. and so and so much going on that um, you know, like like the biggest budget uh, like Hollywood films don't even stand up to some of the stuff going on in some of those episodes. So it's hard for me to say that an episode like this, where it's like, it's, it's lower budget, it's more intimate, it's all dialogue. Um, it's hard for me to say this could be my favorite episode of the show, but I'm going to say that I could easily slot this into my top five okay. episodes of Game of Thrones of all time. And it's because of this scene and everything I was just talking about, this beautiful yin-yang relationship between Jamie and Brienne that has been, that has been, developed over so many seasons and comes to this beautiful moment in this beautiful scene um as a game of thrones fan this is exactly what i wanted from season eight and if season eight can keep this up for the rest of its run i'm going to be the happiest game of thrones fan on earth and i think i think there's going to be a lot of happy game of thrones fans out there anyway uh sorry i went on a big rant there about that one but um uh, I love that scene. So, so Brienne of Tarth is now um, officially a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. That has to go. That has to go in the history books. And um, and basically, you know, she's she's got what she's always wanted, and and I feel like her story arc is pretty much complete. I mean, beyond and the same thing with Jamie. Um, Jamie needs to do one thing that he predicted earlier, which is he has to die in the arms of someone who loves him. And that's obviously to me, Brienne. Now, uh, we, we thought previously that it was going to be Cersei. I think for many seasons, I believed that Cersei and Jamie were going to die together, that Cersei was going to, I mean, sorry, that Jamie was going to kill Cersei and that Jamie was going to get killed in that moment. Okay. And they would they would die in each other's arms like Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. but I I no longer believe that's going to happen. I believe Jamie's going to die next episode. I believe he's going to die in Brienne's arms after being heroic and sacrificing himself, um, maybe to save her or to save Winterfell, um, something to that effect. But again, like I keep saying, we shall see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we're getting close to the end of the episode now. Um, uh, we get to, uh, from there we go to, uh, Liana Mormont and Jorah Mormont have a quick moment in the courtyard. Uh, not really much going on there. We, we just find out that Liana's going to be in the battle. Uh, she's not going to hide in the crypts, so she'll probably die. Um, Sam gives Jorah Mormont his family sword, Valerian steel sword, Heartsbane, which um something that really makes a lot of sense to me uh even though it's kind of weird because jorah jorah had his own family valerian steel sword it was long claw but his dad gave that to Jon snow Jon snow tried to give it back to jorah last season but jorah was like no i don't deserve it anymore i betrayed my house keep it now here's sam going oh wait my family had a <laughs> valerian steel sword too but it's too big for me to wield will you use it and will you do it in the me- memory of your father and he's like, yes, I will use it, and I will, I'll, I'll wield it in his memory, which feels confusing because of the whole, you know, your father had a Valyrian steel sword, but somebody else is using that, and now you're using this one, and you're going to use it in your father's memory, but it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Uh, it's a beautiful moment, and Jorah Mormont fighting with this sword is going to be awesome, and I can't wait to see it. All right. Um, so from there, we go to a scene. We go back to that, that uh, fireplace room, 
and we get a scene that is directly stolen from uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Okay. Uh, and the beginning of the Battle of um, the the Battle of Helm's Deep mm. begins with Pippin, the Hobbit, singing a Hobbit folk song, and then we get a montage of all of the heroes of uh, Middle Earth preparing for the Battle of Helm's Deep. Right. They exactly rip that scene off. Okay. Uh, and. And it, it has to be intentional because the makers of this show have said repeatedly that, that Lord of the Rings and especially the Battle of Helm's Deep is a major influence on what they do in Game of Thrones mm-hmm. for, big ba- for big battle episodes. So this is a clear like tribute to Lord of the Rings. They, they, they lifted this scene, and it's beautiful. And we get Podrick singing Jenny of Old Stones, which is a song directly from the book. It's another beautiful Game of Thrones fan moment. Um Podrick singing this beautiful song, which is a which is a tragic love song, and then we get the montage that I that I referenced earlier, where they show every couple from the show mm-hmm. uh, as they're preparing for the battle, and we see the dramatic stakes that are involved here. All of these people who love each other and their their relationships that we've been watching for years, uh, they're all at stake of losing each other now, and and this is what's what um, is at stake in this battle, and. Again, this scene really stands out for me because included in this montage of lovers, we get Sam and Gilly, we get Grey Worm and Miss Sandy. Um, um, now I'm quickly blanking on who the other couple is, but included in this montage is Theon and Sansa, who are not a romantic couple, but for some reason are included. So will they get romantic? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's just because they care about each other because they're family, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Um and then finally, um, after this montage uh, with this song, we get John and Daenerys in the crypts of Winterfell, and John finally tells Daenerys the secret of his parents and his lineage. Mm-hmm. And Daenerys' reaction is, of course, troubling because her immediate reaction is not, oh my God, you're my nephew, and we're family, and we did it, and oh my God. No, it's oh my god, you have a claim to the Iron Throne, yeah. which which I want, and what are we going to do about that, mm-hmm. right? So, so they use it as a way to set up tension between John and Daenerys, and and then of course immediately before John can even respond, uh, the horn blows three times because the dead have arrived at Winterfell and the battle is about to begin. Yeah. So John and Danny won't finish this conversation before the big battle. And who knows if they'll ever get to finish that conversation, if they'll both survive the big battle, uh, we shall see. Um, so uh, then we get to the end of the episode, which is just everybody looking over the wall and watching White Walkers approach. And what we get is a row of White Walkers. We get more White Walkers than we've ever seen. Not Whites, but the actual White Walkers, the generals, the lieutenants, the leaders, the more powerful ones. Mm -hmm. And like I said, more of them than we've ever seen on screen at one time. But what is noticeably missing is the Night King and the Night King's Dragon. Okay. And um, I, I, like I said, I think this is really an indicator that the Night King won't be in this fight. But we don't know. We're going to have to wait and find out. 
until the next episode, because that's where it ends. Our heroes are staring across the battlefield at the dead, and the fighting is about to begin, and most of these people are going to die. We know that. Mm-hmm. A lot of them at least, but I'm going to say most. Um, you know, take pick carefully who you think will survive episode three, because I don't think it's going to be very many people. <laughs> Had to drop that. That's very good. Very, very good. <laughs> anyway, that's the episode. And like I said to me, one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones ever. I gave this episode. I, I'm not giving out tens because I'm saving tens for like the really, really epic, uh, big budget stuff. But okay. I'm giving this one a nine point seven five oh, wow. out of ten. Right. I'm giving this as close to a 10 as I will possibly go it's without near, being a 10. That's a near-perfect episode. Yes, it's near-perfect. And it isn't my top five. I'm going to say it might even be as high as my third favorite episode of the entire series. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, like I said, uh, being that uh, I didn't know a lot of the storylines going into it, um, there was enough that I could get out of it. And, yeah, no, I, I actually did enjoy this episode as well. So I look forward to watching the next one. Are you are you more of a Game of Thrones fan today than you were after episode one? Um, I wouldn't say I'm more of a fan, but I'm I'm starting to get a little bit more into the okay. show now. So okay. yeah, okay. No, I'm, um, like I said, I don't know if I after watching this last season, whatever, if I'll backtrack and rewatch right. it from the beginning or anything. We'll see. Uh, time will tell. But no, I I am definitely more into it now than I was. Um, okay. you know, last week. So, and especially now let, because next episode, it's obviously it's going to go down, right? So, let yeah, that that was what I was just going to say. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say these first two episodes have just been build up, right? Yeah, set up, like, right? Yeah. Like course. episode three is going to be the real shit, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I'm I'm curious to see how it's going to go after that. I, I'm wondering if episode four and five are going to slow back down again. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I hope not. And the fact that they're all going to be extra length episodes from now on, like episode four and five, are going to be eighty minutes as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I want this roller coaster breakneck pace to continue. Okay, but we'll see. But what would you give this out of ten? Um, I would give it an eight. So okay. again, like there was a lot of uh, obviously fan service because, um, like you said, they connected a lot to this. Yes. Was it the second episode of the first season? I believe you said right. Oh, uh, just like every uh, no. This this one was like connected to like every. Oh, like, so every... a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Um, like I said, I I I was definitely more involved in this episode as far as like story goes than I was in the first one. Right. right. So uh, of season eight. So, yeah, no, I, I did enjoy it. And, um, yeah, no, I, I look forward to uh, watching the next one because, like I said, that's when the shit's going to happen, right? That's when the shit's going to hit the fan, right? So Me too, me too, me too. Yeah. Cool. So, all right, I guess we're putting this baby to bed then. So, uh, so Ga- one... Game of Thrones Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 2, I gave it a 9.75 out of 10. Kevin gives it an 8 out of 10. And, um, yeah, I, I Just one last know. question. That's the end? <laughs> Janet! <laughs> we'll see you next week for episode three yeah there you go and uh and uh i guess that's us signing off that's us signing all off. right thank you for listening to old for this podcast episode nine 
Uh, please check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Jewel for this podcast. Twitter.com forward slash Jewel for this pod. So the four, the week 90s rappers would do it. Uh, as always, my name is Jeremy Dove. My name is Kevin Evans. And thank, thank you for listening. listening. Peace out. Seven hells. <laughs>